Coming up, when you surrender 142 points in an NBA game, can there be any positives to take away? You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, for better or worse, every single day. Over there, you're going to find Doug Norrie. He's the owner-operator of DFSR for all your daily fantasy sports rankings. From DraftKings to FanDuel, he's got you covered. I'm Adam Armbrecht, hosting the One Giant podcast covering the Giants and also the Devils Puck Luck podcast covering your New Jersey Devils. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day free on all those great platforms and tell you, this episode, why it's brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. And Doug, why don't we go ahead and get started? Taking a little look at an absolutely trouncing of a loss at MSG at the hands of the New York Knicks. The uh, nine-game winning streak, that's in the rearview mirror against these Knickerbockers. They now have two in a row over our Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, they went uh, crossed out uptown, I guess you would say, and just got smoked. Uh, 142 points by the Knicks. It's hard to look at this game and, and not get super bummed out. I actually do think there are some positives here, which is unbelievable when you see the team hung over 140 on you and literally couldn't miss uh, to start the game. And it, this is these are the kinds of little streaks for a team that test your resilience and test your resolve as a fan about what you're kind of looking at, right? It's not close against the Bucks. The Hawks game was a brutal letdown on the buzzer beater. I mean, the Bulls game was a complete and utter joke. And this one is um, an absolute dumpster fire from you know a final score standpoint. And, you know, when you're a fan, this, these are tough because you want to be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I do think we have some, at least some positives that we can take from this with the understanding that this team is not a championship level team right now. And this is a work and this is going to have to be a season over season work in progress because that's what happens when you trade Kevin Durant. But man, it is, and Kyrie Irving, it is real tough when you're watching this game right from the jump and you're thinking, I mean, is it over before the first quarter is even, the, the, the final whistle on the first quarter is even blown? Yeah, and it was interesting, too, because when you and I were getting ready to dive into the episode, it was, well, what what is the key narrative to take away here? But it's something that we've been watching over these last handful of games, and you mentioned some of them. The the Hawks game, it's a buzzer beater. So you come out of that one and you think, yeah, there's still going to be these these difficult games, but being able to go toe-to-toe with a team on the rise like that that wants to be in the playoff picture, et cetera, that, that's a good sign. There's also been a lot of instances, this game included, the first quarter, 40 seven points but there's been a lot of instances where you correctly pointed out it you know sometimes the results are not always the total picture on what you should take away from a game 142 points there's absolutely no way around it being brutal 47 points in the first quarter there's absolutely no way around that being brutal but the Knicks shot nine of 11 to start from deep and we've seen this now in a handful of games where the Nets especially defensively at least initially, just kind of struggle in rotation, some communication pieces. But there weren't a lot of instances where I thought, wow, they look absolutely terrible defensively. It was more, wow, I can't believe the New York Knicks are incapable of missing shots from the perimeter. 
Yeah, I mean, that is actually what it felt like. It felt like the shot, the Knicks were making shots more than the Nets were allowing shots. And I think there is something of a difference with that. And when you are not like the defense was on an elite level, like by any means, but the Knicks were making tough shots. They they had a couple of nice read and reacts, especially for Julius Randle uh, reacting out of like sort of the high post. And he was able to find Quentin Grimes. Quentin Grimes looked like he could have won the three-point contest multiple times over <laughs> in this game. Uh, and I think what happens sometimes in games like this is that this idea of like, oh, like I think because I think teams will know like the Nets will know, okay, hey, that defensive possession wasn't a huge letdown. They just made a shot, okay? Mm -hmm. Like that defensive possession wasn't a huge letdown, and they made another shot. And when that happens five times in a row, six times in a row, that will chip away at your resiliency, right? And then you get to the end of this first quarter, and it's like, well, even in our best efforts, these shots are going in, right? And then you get to the end of the first half, and they put up 80 points, and it's like a, it's a record. At that point, the train is so far down the track that I think it's hard to – it's you're never getting it back into the station at that point. And sometimes games, NBA games can just kind of go this way. I will say if we're comparing blowouts and a man, this might be the most rose colored glasses we've ever put on for a situation. Okay. But if I'm comparing blow, if I'm comparing, I, can't even, I can't even get it up. If I'm comparing hey, blowouts, blowouts relative comparing to other blowouts, horrible blowouts, the Nets have had recently. How does this one? I, stack do, up? I feel like this one was, a, they're all three of them are different. Let, let's go through I'll, I'll, real quick. I'll break the three down. The first one against the, Chicago, the Bulls was everything was terrible, right? Like it was just, it was terrible on offense, terrible on defense. It was an embarrassment. The Bucks one was a uh, looked very good early and couldn't close. Like, and that game kind of ends up being a blowout. Like the first half they were in that game, they were winning the game by 10. Right. And so it's like that game has a different feel. It's like the second half got away from them. This one's the opposite. This one is the first half got completely away from them. And at that point, they just might not have the horses in the stable to be able to come back. And so not all these are built the same, but I do feel in some ways like this was a case of early on the Knicks made everything, no matter what they did. And it, and at some point there's just going to be too big. You dig yourself too big a hole and you can't get out. Yeah. I, 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 it's hard because first of all, it's hard for me, by the way, personally, because following the trades, I knew it was not going to be a championship caliber team. But I also thought, and when we have seen it on individual levels, and we'll talk about the performances of Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson, the things that we like in individual performances here. But I didn't think it was going to look like this. Like I anticipated it being gritty games that maybe in the fourth quarter you were thin, you know, five to seven, and okay, the Bucks pull away from you. So be it. The Hawks pull away a dagger. Okay, even the Knicks, who have been playing very good basketball of late, as we know, seven game winning streak for them now. Like okay. The, the, the difficult pill for me to swallow right now is that it just seems like, at least so far, every game requires one quarter of kind of not being able to sort everything out. And it extends beyond just the defensive looks and the assignments and, and other teams getting shots to go down, certainly. There's rotation things that matter here. There's, there's roster functionality that matters here. But that's been hard. Like, that has been really hard to swallow here that – in the big picture, this short-term sample size has a couple of alarm bells ringing in my head about how much work this organization is going to have to do beyond this season when we get to the offseason and making some real decisions. 
Yeah, and that's what a game like this, these and this is what I mean about like these games were really tested for you because it's really hard to watch your team, especially when there is expectation. Like this has been a really hard season for the Nets in the, from a fan perspective because the expectation levels have shifted so much that it actually it makes it, it it's like, you know, sometimes your expectations are like a tugboat turning, right? It's not going to happen right away. Like you can't just pivot 180 in, in the way you feel about a team. We were in multiple seasons now of the Nets being a certain class of team and kind of, and even though it's even times when it was their own sort of version of a dumpster fire, the, the expectations were of a certain level because of the guys they had. That is no longer here, but the expectation among probably fans too, and for myself included, has been very slow to turn here. Right. Because it's just it's just too hard. Like you can't go from a team that was third overall in championship odds to a team that's like, are they going to make the playoffs and who knows what the future holds? That really just never happens. Like it really doesn't happen in sports. Like teams just don't pivot this quickly. You're never this good, even on paper, this good. And all of a sudden it's turned around into this. You're bad. It, It goes the other way. It's like you're good. You you improve and then you maybe don't win the championship like this is just such a weird circumstance. And I think in some ways, I think this is like what's causing some conflict in terms of like how to feel about the team, because it's like, well, they're just not that team anymore, but I still have, I still have inklings of it, like sifting around in my brain. And I know, I know the fans do too, like really bad because, because I can see it and I can hear it. It's like the frustration levels are so high, but I think a lot of it is born out of like what the team used to be, which and what they no longer are. Heard it on the broadcast tonight. They're referencing stats and where the Nets rank in certain categories, which don't remotely matter anymore because it's not the same team. Exactly. And, and very rarely in the NBA specifically at a deadline, you add in the key missing star to vault you into championship contention. It's very rare that you dismantle something to this degree on the fly. Coming up in the third segment, we'll talk about Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson more specifically, but what do the Brooklyn Nets need to showcase here in a team that has depth but just not evenly balanced depth across their roster all right we're going to get into that in a second first got to tell you about our friends over on FanDuel we're past the midway point of the NBA season it's the perfect time to download FanDuel America's number one sports book new customers get a no sweat first bet up to wait for this number one thousand dollars it's bonus bets back Say that three times fast. If your first bet doesn't win, just download the Spandle Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super, super easy to use. You give it everything from the money line to point scores to threes drained. I was over on FanDuel before this game started. So we're recording this, excuse me, before this podcast started, 10 15 Eastern right now. I'm telling you right now, I got my own same game parlay going with these guys. We're looking for a lot of Damian Lillard unders here. And uh, Anthony Simons back when some unders on him, when some overs on Willie Hernan Gomez starting for a, for Jonas Valanciunas. You can sweat this with me. Hopefully, if you're listening listen to this right now, you're checking in on the same game parlay that I had going, and you're thinking Damian Lillard unders, a lot, lot of Pelicans overs, and we're getting the job done. Just some of what you're going to be able to grab over at FanDuel. There's tons of exclusive bets. You get the twos and threes. Um, if you want to just go in the first couple minutes of a game, it's all there for you. Don't miss out your chance to get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Okay. So the individual performances, I think, are things that we can look at and project forward and and have some confidence or excitement about. 
But in the short term, the thing that we knew, by the way, this isn't this isn't breaking news, is that the Brooklyn Nets, after all of these trades, you looked at certain positions and certain skill sets and said, well, we got a lot of talent in certain key areas. But what we still don't have is a true backup center, a guy that can go against some big bodies. What we still don't have, which we didn't have enough of even when we had the superstars, is ball handlers and guys that can initiate the offense. And all those things, I think in a lot of ways after this trade deadline, have really come to bear in a much worse way than we probably anticipated. Because Seth Curry and Joe Harris are playing themselves out of minutes. And De'Ron Sharp was said to have a role, but is still a matchup-based decision for Zach Vaughn. And then we know Ben Simmons is still out of the lineup right now. And I even said, hey, by the way, the version that we thought we might dream of possibly having from Ben Simmons solves like 90% of the issues that the Nets have right now. Unfortunately, he hasn't been that guy. So are you, I know you're not surprised that this has been the way it's looked with the areas of deficiency that the Nets do have. No, I'm not surprised, but actually one thing that came uh, to mind to me actually specifically tonight watching this uh, game against the Knicks. And I I was trying to think of a way to say it succinctly and I, I wasn't totally getting there, but Basically, it was that when you have, okay, so the gift of having superstars is obviously that you have the best players, right? So that's that's part's obvious. Like in the NBA, when you have the best players and you have these top 10, top 15 kind of guys on your team, like that alone is such a huge and amazing thing for your team because those players are very rare. And there's almost like exponential benefits for having guys that are th- that are that good because there's only 10 guys that can be on the court. And if you have the best one, like you're, you know, you're more than 10% of the way there in a, in a given game. You know, I'm doing yeah. back of the napkin math on that, but like you get what I mean, right? Like there's, there's only 10 guys, there's only 10 guys in a quarter of the time. And if you have two of the guys that are the best 15 in all the NBA, like you're so far ahead of the game. But the other thing that happens, and this is what I really thought about tonight watching this one against the Knicks is you, what you kind of sometimes lose in watching that is how much better they make the other guys or how much easier they make it for the other guys. And what we're getting now is a look at what, and it wasn't like amazing beforehand, but it's really rough now, is what happens to guys like Joe Harris and Seth Curry and these guys, and to some degree Claxton on offense. Like Mm -hmm. what happens to these guys when their life isn't made super easy by having the gravity around these superstars. Yeah. Because it really falls off a cliff really fast and it becomes really hard when your defender does not worrying about anybody else on the court, your life gets a lot harder. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I think what we were a little spoiled on and we knew at the time, but I, but it's really being hammered home now is how difficult it is for these guys like Curry and Harris that are just specialists when you are essentially just a specialist and no one else on your team is all that special <laughs> to like be able to bring out your <laughs> specialist capabilities, right. your life gets super hard in the basketball court and it looks really bad. And I think that's what we're starting to see. And I, and I wonder how much of their game was predicated and propped up on these other guys, because now when they're not around, man, this looks, it looks really, really rough. You know, and it's interesting, too, because we, we used to say that at the time with the stars, it was this is what you want. When people would, would talk about Joe Harris and his deficiencies, it was this is the exact skill set you want around superstars. And that's, you know, same thing, the pulse of the fan base when they're saying, man, I don't know what happened to Joe Harris so quickly. It's just, you know, and Seth Curry as well. 
30-year-old dudes, 30-plus-year-old guys that have a very specific skill set around superstars don't look nearly as productive when they don't have it there. And there's other well, things well, beyond real that. Real quick, nothing, nothing, yeah. happened to, nothing happened to them. What happened to them was not to them. It was, sorry, it did happen to them, but nothing happened within them. What It, what, it was all externality stuff. Like All this stuff around them got worse. And well, now it's the equivalent of being in the chess club in high school. You hang out with a bunch of the football jocks. You're going to all the parties. All of a sudden, the jocks pack up their beers and they go home. You're just a chess geek. You got an amazing right. skill set, but it turns out it doesn't always apply in every set of circumstances, right? So, so there's that piece of it. The other thing, then, too, though, that I think if we're going to be want to do a little bit of criticizing here, and, I, and and in the third segment, in addition to complimenting players, I'm also going to you know come to the defense of of what you want to judge around Jock Vaughn and the coaching staff as we look down the back half of the season. But go back to the trade deadline. I don't know what could have been possible, but we always talk about this organization. There's this loyalty to certain players. When you think about a Seth Curry, I don't know. That's not maybe about loyalty. They probably wanted to have his value here. It doesn't look like that's real. Joe Harris, though, Hattie Mills, those are two names you can point to and two contracts you can point to and say, hey, listen, if in any version of these trades, you could have jettisoned them for the sake of money alone, and on top of which, what else you could have brought back in, that I think is something that we can at some point discuss around what other talent or players could you have brought into this group, even if it's from an evaluation standpoint, because you're not going to learn anything new about Joe Harris or Seth Curry the way you are learning things about Mikhail Bridges, about Cam Johnson, about Cam Thomas, about a guy like, as you mentioned there, um, Nicholas Claxton, he's still young. There's still development for him to come here, right? So his struggles and his step back here, that's okay relative to what you think he can continue to do. Other players are known commodities that you're really wasting minutes on. Yeah, I mean, this is what we're the, this is where the, the roster has gotten so so weird, right? And this next yeah. game I actually think highlighted, and I have another piece about this game that I think highlights just how weird the roster is and how like sort of clunky it is, just in the way mm -hmm. it's it, it's uh it's just constructed. That this next game really highlighted highlighted for me. We'll talk about that in a second. So basically, what basically here's here's the problem, right? So usually when and this, these last couple games have really been kind of hammered this home, this idea for me as well, is that usually when you are getting blown out in an NBA game, right? When it's, when the game is over, it's the four, it's late fourth quarter, it's midway through the fourth quarter and the, the coaches wave the white flags. If you go and look at other teams who plays in these blowouts, it's going to mm. often be guys that you don't hear from very often, yep. right? Like it's going to be and I, I, not to go through like all these teams here, but like, I'm going to do this on the fly. Like if you, okay. Like if you're over in Milwaukee, right. And, and the bucks are getting blown out. Okay. You're going to see Than Thanasis come in here. You're going to see Myers Leonard come in. AJ Green's going to come in. Marshawn Boshamp going to come in. Like these are the guys that play blowout minutes because they're very end of the bench and they're young and they're just kind of they're roster fillers. And that's just how it goes. Right. That's the usual sort of nobody blowout stuff. If you watch enough NBA basketball, you know how this works. The nets blowout lineups are like, Patty Mills, Seth Curry. Yeah. It, it highlights how weird the situation is for the Nets right now because this is just not usually what happens in blowouts. You don't get yeah. guys that make $14 million a year <laughs> playing through blowouts because they have a certain status in the NBA, and that's just not what happens. But this is what's happening for the Nets. And so it's just like this uncanny valley thing. Like you don't, it's hard to know what we're literally looking at here because you're right. You made a perfect point about this. We have nothing more to learn about some of these guys. We yeah. don't have anything else to learn about Seth Curry. 
I don't, in some ways, I'd say we don't have anything else to learn about Joe Harris. It's not even totally a knock against them. There's just nothing else to like learn about it. Like, and so we get stuck in these situations with the Nets and this next game highlighted. It's like, like, what am I watching here? Like, what's happening here? <laughs> right? Like, I just don't, I don't really know what's happening here. And that that does bring me to and, and then so when you look at tonight's box score and then go back to last night's game where they played Milwaukee. And by the way, mwah, if you're going to go ahead and pull your starters because you want to save them for the back to back and the bigger challenge, at least you get the payoff of getting blown out again. But when you last game, you mentioned some of those names there. And this is, it's not enough. And I'm not saying these guys are good enough. By the way, Yuta Watanabe was, was suited up tonight. He wasn't even dressed last game, but he was available for you. Duke Jr. played five minutes in the game prior. They've used Drew Smith a little bit there, bringing him in. Like, well, whoever you do have available for you that is young, and I'm not even saying we have, a, we have a lot to learn about David Duke Jr. at this point either, but those are the guys that should be playing here. Or Yuta Watanabe, like, I could make the case tonight if you want to find just something you, you know, it's been an absolute mess, but what could we try to see? Why don't you just see if Yuru Watanabe can still function? Because it seems like at one point he could have. And this, there's like this weird thing or idea around these guys that we're mentioning. Curry, Harris, and now Patty Mills. There's this loyalty issue that you're running into here. And I understand it because you're trying to serve two tracks. The problem right now is serving the making the playoffs and being competitive track has resulted in several losses in a row and some of the worst losses in franchise history in recent games. At some point, you have to be able to take a step back and say, well, what I think we can accomplish here is looking at Mikhail Bridges, looking at Cam Johnson. Like I've loved what I've seen from Cam Johnson over these last few games. I can understand where that value can lie, but you're already losing the games. You might as well see what other players can do for you. And I, I was having this battle around Cam Thomas. Should he be starting? We talked about that a couple episodes ago. As long as he's getting minutes, it's all good. As long as you're seeing him develop, it's all good. Dayron Sharp should play 25-plus minutes. I don't care if we, we think he's not good enough. Maybe something develops. Maybe he shows that he can do a little bit of a, of a shot in the mid-range game, something that out of college we thought eventually he could develop into. That's the problem that I'm now running into from a frustration standpoint. I, I don't knock JV for the starting lineup right now. I don't knock him for the way he talks about expectations and roles, etc., he talked about Patty Mills, by the way. He said, he's our Derrick Rose. The guy that at the deadline said, I, I'd prefer to stick around. And he's a professional and he does it the right way. And he's a great example. That's great. But at some point, we just got to be evaluating who's going to be here long term. Because guess what? Patty Mills isn't. And neither is Joe and neither is Seth. You know, actually, to sort of just tie a bow on this, to some degree, this actually comes down. You actually, I think, really kind of brought this back to what I was saying at the beginning and, and made it. And I hadn't even considered it this way, but you're correct. Is that remember I was saying at the beginning, we we're like, oh, you know, the expectations is like it's a, a slow boat turning. It's like it's not going to happen right away. It's, it's going to be a wide arc. And I was talking about it in, from the fans point of view where I was like, hey, our expectations. But you made it very clear and you're you're correct. There's it looks like organizationally that's what's happening too. It's like they have not reset themselves. Right. They're they were close. Yeah. They're, they're they're frankly might even be slower because that and that was that actually is what's probably explaining some of these very weird moves that are happening here. Is that like their expectations have not shifted back into reality? They're not like, living in reality. Right. A lot of minutes this, right now. This is this is not living in re basketball reality right now. Like it's living in some very weird place where they're probably trying, I, I get what they're trying, I get they have to do some things here. They, there is, um, uh, there are parts of this, like 
they have veterans and they have to play them. They make money mm-hmm. and like just can't have these guys sit all the time. I, I do get that part of it, right? But it's been so weird. Look at the rotations for these last games. This goes to coaching with these seven-man rotations, right? Like they're running seven-man rotations for a team that's going to barely make the play-in game. Like that doesn't make any sense. Right. Like that doesn't make any sense at all to be doing this. Yeah. Is there a cohesive problem? Cause these guys haven't played together. Yeah. That's probably a lot. Some of what you're seeing on offense, right? This is why guys like Dinwiddie and, and cam are going to control the ball a lot. And just because the, the offense is not going to be totally in sync, but why would like a borderline 500 or worse team run seven guys? Like no team would actually do that. This team is now cursed with having too many wins and weird expectations around what they're doing. And they're not actually acting like the team that they actually are. And so I think this is where I think we're fine. I think we're, I think we've figured this out as we talk this out is like this, the expectations are all over the place and they're frankly all wrong. And it's actually influencing the decisions about who's supposed to be playing and doing stuff. And it's influencing it in really negative way. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's a really good point that I maybe, you know, by breadcrumb trail found my way towards. And then you wrapped up very succinctly and I don't know how long this road goes because you had, did you have the numbers up about these lineups? Because I, we were, we were talking about as well, and this would probably be a good way to conclude it in terms of some sense of silver lining that this team hasn't played a lot of games together. And I mentioned this the other day, four out of the five starters are new and different guys. Okay. There's a lot of things to learn, right? Their numbers, which don't include this game, are actually maybe not as bad as you think they would be based on results. And that goes back to the top two. You look at the box score, brutal loss, 47 points given up in a quarter. But this team is actually trying to function and develop. It doesn't mean it's ever going to get there, and that slow turn needs to happen a little bit faster. But that maybe there are things that actually are working, that there are things that can get better here over the last 20 games. Yeah, look, the, the starting lineup before this game had played 82 minutes together and they had a 110 offensive rating and a 98 defensive rating. I mean, that's good, right? Like it's going to get worse after tonight's game for sure because the first quarter was so bad and it doesn't take much of a sample. It doesn't, the sample size is small here. So it doesn't take much to like, you know, shift things uh, somewhat significantly sometimes. But, you know, 80 minutes and kind of okay basketball. Like there's something, there's something there. It's, it's not been terrible. I know your eyes can deceive you sometimes a little bit with this because when it's the problem is when it's been bad, it's been so bad. (laughs) And when that's the case, you really can't unsee that kind of thing. But in general, like the numbers do back up that there is something, a little bit of something here and it's not totally terrible. It's just that Look, I'm not even like taking a dig at the starting lineup. I think it's fine. I actually just think that what we're figuring out here is that like it just really can't just stop there. Like this can't be a yeah. seven-man team. Like we can't well, run the team. This. And by the way, that uh, the, by the, the the Jock Vaughn, you know, ten-man rotation trying to refine down to nine. I was saying, hey, it's a five-man rotate, you know, six-man rotation. You're trying to build your way up to seven or eight players, and maybe that's the the point too that. To say you're trying to refine down to playoff basketball, again, back to back to your, your analogy, the slow-turning boat. To say you're trying to refine down to a playoff basketball roster is selling yourself short on maximizing the value of what you can learn. Play everybody. Play anybody. It should, everything should be on the table. Everything should get thrown against the wall in the hopes that by the time this season ends, wherever you are in the standings, you've learned as much as possible about what pieces can help you going forward. And I think they are being short-sighted in that regard. 
All right, tomorrow uh, we are going to talk a little bit about like what if like this, you know, this style of play for the Nets is going to maybe do some long term damage to guys like Mikhail Bridges and not like, you know, physical damage, but like this damage, like some of the vibes around this team to have the have this kind of going this way, you know, especially for some of these new guys that might be with the team long term. So we will definitely talk about the Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson piece uh tomorrow on tomorrow's episode appreciate everyone that's jumped in over on youtube we'll do a few extra minutes uh, on youtube live if you're over on the podcast make sure that you are over on youtube uh hit like and subscribe in both places that's a way totally free ways to help the show really appreciate it um and we'll stay on here for a few minutes extra uh on youtube live because uptown funk gonna give it to you uptown funk gonna give it to you wednesday night and we in the spot don't believe me just watch that's Ron Bronson featuring Bruno Mars. Oh, one of the all-time great poets. We'll be back again tomorrow and in a second on YouTube talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball.